So March Madness is right now. It's pretty fun. It's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, Coach K just got into his uh, last Final Four of his career, which actually also broke the record for the most Final Four appearances um, in NCAA history. And there is also a 15 seed playing in the Elite Eight tonight, if I'm correct, which is also pretty wild and, and mad. Um, March Madness is a really fun time. Um, for, and for 83 years, the NCAA tournament has pulled on this, this theme of, of madness, which is kind of paradoxical to me because, because madness isn't really something that usually welcomes um, good into our life, where, you know, even though we all look forward to March Madness, at least I do, all us sports people look forward to Mar- March Madness. Madness isn't really something that we usually want to welcome um, into our lives. Um, madness, you know, March Madness is, it can, can also be a little stressful. Look at this, all these screens and all these numbers and everything. That is not peaceful or exciting. That just, that just stresses me out. It's madness. It's out of control. Um, and often, you know, it, we, in this world, we like to uh, play on this, on this theme of madness, um, and, and we, we like to kind of dumb it down, but really, all the madness in our lives causes us to be stressed, causes us to have anxiety, causes us to be angry, to be frustrated. Um, and so this morning, we're going to do a little exercise. I actually have a, a magic tool in this screen that's going to pull all of the things out of all your heads that cause you um, anxiety, okay, that cause you stress, all the madness in the world. First one is the government. We're going to put, we're going to put it all in the circle. So someone in here is stressed about the government. Kids, work, death, relationship issues, illness, having nowhere to park. <laughs> we have plenty of parking spots out there. Running out of toilet paper while on the toilet. It stresses people out. Automated customer service lines. Printer not working. The stock market. Puppies. In-laws. That's not me. Hey. That's not me. My, my, father, my father-in-law is here this morning. <laughs> Sports teams. And it all just kind of blows up in our faces. It causes stress, anxiety. It's all madness. So this circle is what I like to call the circle of stress or concern or circle of anxiety. This circle is a circle of control. Now, ultimately, we don't have any control over any of these things. But we get so stressed out, we get so anxious, we get so angry, we get so frustrated because we can't control these things. We can't control the March Madness tournament, even though some of us would like to have our bracket go the way that it should go. Scientifically, literally one person in history has ever filled out a bracket correctly and they weren't even like a sports person. We can't control things. And and what causes anxiety in our lives is our want to control. Ultimately, the only thing that we can control in this other smaller circle is ourselves. That's the only thing that we can control. We try to rely on different things to convince ourselves that we have control, that like, give us some kind of temporary idea that we have some kind of peace or joy or, or unity. Like the, the thank God it's Friday mentality, the uh, taking breaks from social media, though I'm not, that's a great thing to do, but it, it like is somehow convincing us that if we, if we don't see what's going on in the world, it's not going on and, and we're, we're at peace. Or um, we, we drown, drown our lives with consumption. We distract ourselves from all the madness that's either happening personally in our lives or, or, or in the news or um, in the bathroom. We, we try and do things to distract ourselves from the fact that there are a lot of things that are causing us stress and anxiety. 
But if we focus on what we cannot control, my friends, those things are going to control you, ultimately. But the good thing is, is that God gives us a way out of that. God gives us a a life to live that even though the world is still going to have all this madness, though March Madness is still going to happen, the madness of life is still going to happen, God gave us a way to live a life that is riddled with joy and peace and unity and contentment and all things good. These are things that are... uh, uh, results of, of Jesus' work on the cross. And so this morning we are going to jump into Philippians 4, 2 through 9 in Paul's kind of exhortation to us, first to his, his exhortation to the church in Philippi a couple thousand years ago, um, but now to us on how to live a life that is characterized of joy and peace, even though the world is riddled with madness. So the reality is, even though in this world and in our lives we will see and experience madness, guys, it is possible that we can live a life characterized by the opposite. So Paul gives us a step-by-step method on how we ought to live into that promise. Now, I want to give a little warning. Not everything in the Bible is a step-by-step process of how to live life. I, I used to say the Bible is, a, is, an, uh, what is it called an acronym of basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not how most of the Bible is. But Paul does in this situation give us step by step how to live into this peaceful life that God wants us to experience. And so how do we march through the madness of life and still live a life characterized by peace and joy? And so we're going to start in Philippians 4, starting in verse 2. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Name your kids that, those guys that, you're, that are stressed out, because this will be directly to them. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Now, I only m- mention this part of the passage because Philippians is a short book. It's only four chapters. And so really, Paul's getting into the end of his letter to the church of Philippi and is starting to address personal people. Yet, even though he's kind of finishing it out, he's still got some rich stuff for us to experience. And this is, he's specifically uh, ta- speaking towards this situation where two leaders in the church, two women in the church, are having conflict and they're experiencing madness between one another because they want to control one another. They want, them to, they wa- they want to control the person that is causing them anxiety. They want to control the situation that they are in, um, which is not causing them to be joyful, peaceful people um, and ultimately lights the world and... Um, positive leaders in their church. Um, And then he goes on. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And so we ask Paul, how do we march through the madness of life and still live a life characterized by peace and joy? And he gives us four imperatives. And I'm not going to over-fancify it. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and he repeats it. I will say it again, rejoice. And so our first imperative of how we live into this life of peace 
and joy that God wants for us is to choose to rejoice. We must choose to rejoice. And now, I read this, I have read this and thought, okay, easy for you to say. Like, how do, how do I force myself to feel joy? We have this, this convincing, or we, we're convinced that joy is only something that happens to us. It's only sometimes we experience it when good things are happening around us. But no, Paul is commanding us to join into the action of joying, of rejoicing. And so uh, to kind of illustrate this, Charles Spurgeon, um, who people like to call, he's just an old guy, uh, but people like to call him the Prince of Preachers. <laughs> uh, and he, so, so he was just a very good preacher from a long time ago. He had a lot of good stuff to say. But he uses this example of, um, the, of when Jesus um, is healing a man with a withered hand, and it's actually in Luke chapter 6. Um, he says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. He was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And then he uses this opportunity to teach the Pharisees and his disciples. And then at the end of it, he says, after looking around at them all, he told them, stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. And so Charles Spurgeon likes to pull on this, and Jesus told the man to use his hand. He told the man to lift up your hand. The man didn't, he didn't, he didn't tell the man to wait till you feel healed. He didn't tell the man to wait till your arm, it reinflates. He said, he said to lift up your hand, and the man lifted his hand. We cannot wait to feel joy. We, can, we can't simply just do that because we'll be waiting a long time usually. Spurgeon might say to us today, if, if we do, if we, if we might be waiting, we'll be waiting for a helpless, a long time, but that's not the reality of, of what God is telling us to do here. He's telling us to choose to rejoice. The power from God accompanies the resolve to rejoice in all circumstances, good and bad. Like he has already given you that joy. He has already, give, he's already done the things that need to happen. He's already pursued her, used the power to give you the joy that lives inside of you. And he's telling us to choose to rejoice. And so sometimes happiness and peace just comes to us. It just happens to us. But often, and usually, life is madness. And so we must choose it. But how? So in the times that we must choose, choose it, how do we go about that? He goes on in verse, the end of verse 5. We'll come back to the beginning of verse 5. But he said, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so we must draw near to God. And so he says he is near at the end of this. And there's really two ways that we can interpret this. In both ways are promises of God, and so neither way is incorrect. There's a twofold promise is that God is near. He is with you. God is omnipresent. He exists with you at all times. You have access to God. He, he is at your right hand at all times. And he is near as in he is coming. There will be a day where Jesus comes back. And that is really good news for all of us. And so both of these are encouragements to us. And so him being with us, how do we draw near to God? If he's always there, how do we ourselves draw near to him? And the way I kind of like to think about this is I'm, I'm married, uh, I have a beautiful wife, and often I am consumed by madness. Often I'll find myself sad or frustrated or angry or upset. And she offers comfort. She offers her presence. She offers to, to comfort me, to rub my back, to, to say, it's okay, baby, to, to, to do all the things that are supposed to bring me comfort. And I can either choose to accept that and be comforted, or I can choose to Heisman her and so to get away from me. <laughs> you guys know the Heisman is the, the trophy. Uh, but you have, a, you have a choice. 
Just because someone is offering their presence, just because someone is offering their comfort towards you, doesn't always mean that we have to accept it. I don't have to accept her comfort. I should, and I do, because it is good for you, because it is good for me, but you don't have to accept it. So God's presence is always with you. He's always offering his comfort for you, to you. He's always offering peace to you. He's always offering his presence with you. And we must accept his presence. We must draw near to him. And if you are the person that has offered, you, offered uh, uh, comfort to your spouse or to your friend and know what it feels like to be Heisman, it doesn't feel good. So God is always with you. He's always offering comfort to you, for you. And it, I think that it probably really makes him really sad when we push him away, when we decide to not, you know, lean into his presence. And so that's him, him, his omnipresence with us. God is always with us, offering us comfort. And then he is near in his coming. Jesus' return is our good news. It is our goal. It's like our, our end. Like the, the end of all things will come and it is a good thing. The consummation of, of heaven and earth when Jesus comes back and, and brings everyone into his arms and no more madness, no more bad, no more Mondays, no more, every team wins the Super Bowl and, in, and not in the cheesy way where, you know, everyone gets a trophy. It's like we all get to experience joy to the full. Uh, to, that, that's the biggest, uh, the biggest example I could think of is if your favorite team wins the Super Bowl because I love football. But it might be the other thing. It might, it might be watching your kid walk for the first time. It might be um, finally breaking through and, and, and healing your marriage. It might be, it, think of many things that like the ultimate end, God is near. And that triumph, that uh, victory should comfort us. It's like when I was in college, um, going through all these finals exams, not sleeping, not eating, stressing out. But I knew that Christmas break was near. I knew that uh, summer was almost here, so I could make it through. And so God is with you right now and always, but he is also coming, and the madness will end someday. And so be encouraged by his presence with you and by his presence to come, to come and save us, to come and, and finish all things to completion, to rid, our, rid the world of madness. And he says to ask God. He says to bring our worries to him by prayer and petition in thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And so God is with you guys. He is with you now and he will always be with you. I've said that so many times, but you can't forget it. Like if you leave here remembering one thing, I need you to remember that God is with you right now at all times. And we must present the things that, are, that we are worrying about to him. And by, well, that's, that's later. And so we must humbly accept by abiding in him, you know, by reading your Bible. That's cheesy, but we must read our Bible. By praying by presenting our request to God, we must humbly accept God's presence with us. Don't Heisman God. And so we must look forward to the good thing, to the best thing when Jesus returns. And we must accept his presence now. And so we must choose to rejoice by abiding in him and contemplating on his promises and his presence right now and the next imperative on how to live into the peace marked life that God promises is really more of a natural result. He says to let your gracious, graciousness be known to everyone. And so again, we must share our lives with the people around us. 
We must let our graciousness be known to the people around us. Paul is writing to, like I said, the church in Philippi, they're Christians that are living in a community that are opposite of Christ. The people that are around them make fun of them. They, they uh, are being persecuted. Yet, Paul is still exhorting them that these guys are the people that we need to be loving on. These guys are the people that, that need what you have. In this way, as God always does, he takes the bad and turns it into an outlet for his good and purposes. And so when we are drinking up joy in every situation, whether our kids are making us mad, whether there's no toilet paper, whether the government are making bad decisions in our opinion, people will be able to tell that we're drinking up joy. Because who else can live in that kind of situation? Who else can live in madness and be characterized by joy and peace and unity? God says it's supposed to be us. It's supposed to be the church. And so when we are drinking up joy, people are going to see it. Like when, when you're drinking up stress, when I'm stressed and I, and, I, and I just loathe into that stress, you can tell. I'm, one of the, I'm the epitome of a person that, you can, that I wears his heart on his sleeve. I cannot fake how I'm feeling. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how the church is supposed to be. God is designed us to be this bright, shining light to the world. And if we are drinking of joy and able to live joyful, peaceful lives in the midst of all the craziness and bad stuff that's happening in the world, people are going to see that and notice that. And so, but when I'm consistently gulping down that joy, what people experience in me is going to be gentleness. It's going to be graciousness. My gentle attitude is evident to all people who will come in contact with me. And so when we all apply this personally, this is a personal exhortation to two people in the church. And so we must apply this passage personally. But when we all do that, it's like we're turning up the brightness on one of those dimmer light bulbs. It's going to look really good to the world. That's what God wants for the church. That's what God designed the church to be, is to be this bright, shining, radiant light of his glory to all people. Okay? So we choose joy, not based on our circumstances, but based upon God's promises to us. And we present the things that are the thieves of our joy, of our peace to God. And then this attitude of, of life infects the lives around us. And then lastly, Paul gives us one last piece of advice on how we continue in this peace. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. But simply, we need to think about the good stuff. He's telling them to only take in what is good. So, like, often we, we just welcome madness into our lives. We sit scrolling on our phones through social media for hours. We watch drama-filled shows. We watch, or we get, you know, emotionally caught up into our, into our brackets. We welcome that madness into us. See, uh, growing up, we had a dog. Her name was Nutmeg. Uh, and she was usually an outside dog. Um, but every now and again, because she was my dog, I would convince parents to let her inside. And whenever Nutmeg got to come inside... We'd have to run to the laundry room and shut the door closed because in the laundry room was the litter box. We had, lots of, we had lots of animals. We had cats, dogs, um, kids running around everywhere. Um, but, we, but we had to shut the, the laundry room door because the litter box was in there because Nutmeg would go to the litter box and eat the cat poop. Dogs aren't designed to eat cat poop. And so when Nutmeg would eat cat poop, she'd throw up, she'd be sick, she wouldn't be happy and snuggly and, and playful, but she'd be sad and mopey and throwing up everywhere because she ate cat poop. 
eating stuff she's not designed to eat, eating stuff that's not supposed to be there. God has designed us to drink him up, to drink up the good. He's designed us in a specific way to be able to function a specific way and to consume the right stuff so so that we can live into the function that he has designed us to be, to be his image bearers. So stop eating cat poop. And you know what the cat poop is. I don't, have to, I don't have to put it on the screen what the cat poop is. You know what it is that you're eating up in your life that is also causing you to jump back into this cycle of madness in your life. But when we abide, when we eat up and drink up the word of God and participate in community and worship and serve our neighbor and let our graciousness be known and choose joy in every situation, we flourish. We function how we're supposed to be, as God's radiant, beautiful image bearers in this world. So stop eating cat poop. But the last thing I want to say is I want you to remember that we're not conjuring this joy up. This is kind of a counseling session, but it's really not, because we're simply just living into what God has provided for us. Worship, uh, Rachel and uh, Andres, you can come back up. Um, but guys, this is an antidote to, of what Paul is telling us to how to live into the promise that God has already given us. He's not telling us how to create this peace, how to create this joy. He's telling us how to live into what's already there. He says that and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and the peace of God will be with you. So we can't create our own peace. Nothing that we go and try and find and look, any method that we do, ultimately will only give you some kind of temporary release. God is our peace. It says that he himself is guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and that this peace surpasses all understanding. The peace that we have isn't supposed to be just like we're happy-go-lucky happy people in this world that can just kind of live in like uh, uh, na- naivety of what's going on around us. It's, it's, it's this supernatural, unexplainable joy and unity that we are supposed to be able to all live into that people are going to be like, wow, I want some of that. And this is only possible through Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to take communion with us today. If you didn't get a cup, there in the back on the table. Um, but as we take communion, this is exactly like the reason why we get to have this peace and this joy and get to live into this unity that God has made possible for us. So reflect on what Jesus did on our behalf and what he did is what he, he came and lived and, and lived a perfect life and died so that we can have peace, so that we can be reconciled with God who is our peace. He is our peace my friends. Our lives are being protected by God's peace. He is our peace. He made peace for us by his bloodshed, and there's no person, no thing, no basketball game, no high, no sport team, no, no, nothing that can be or steal the peace that God has won for you and me and for the rest of the world. And so my prayer for you guys today is that the God of peace be with you and that you might be able to live into that and be God's radiant image bearers that are characterized by joy and unity and love and contentment that is unexplainable, surpasses all understanding. Pray with me. Father God, again, we thank you that we can be your children. 
Um, we thank you for your son's um, sacrifice, um, for his death on the cross, so that we can be back next to you, so that we can experience your presence, so that we can experience this love and joy and peace and unity that you want for us. Father, I pray that for our church, that we can all individually apply this and communally turn up that dimmer light switch and be your radiant image bearers to the city of Arvada, to Denver, to Colorado, to the people that we interact with, God. God, we love you. And again, we lift this morning, um, we lift our worship up to you this morning. Amen.